Becky G and You Belong. Time is 2.34 and you're listening to The 123 Show with me, Sadia Osmani. And time now to join Andrew Dembina, who's artsing around again this week as he brings us the latest local and global news on the art scene. Good afternoon to you. Afternoon there, Sadia. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Nice sunny afternoon. I can't see anything in the studio. I know, but at least you've got you've got a bright kind of sky blue background there, haven't you? Yes, we do actually. We do indeed. <laughs> the sky, the sky, and the real sky is looking um, pretty much that colour. It's oh, another one of these lovely. beautiful days. It's been great, hasn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. Nice to have a bit of a breeze too, isn't it? So, it is. are you out and about right now, then? I, I am. I am. Uh, it tends to be that I often am, and so I'm. Uh, yes, I am ensconced uh, with a coffee. Mm-hmm. And my notes right in front of me. Good. <laughs> so, right. So, 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 so to start us off today, we are kind of artifacting around, really, um, because uh, the first story stems from the launch this year, very recently, of a book by a Berlin-based art history professor. His name is Benedict Savoy. Mm-hmm. And um, he is, uh, he's just put out a book which is all about the, the struggle. It's called Africa's Struggle for Its Art. And it's all about the return of art to countries. It's about the principle of giving back art and artifacts to the places that they came from. But his focus has been on African art and artifacts that are in museums around the world. And so in it, he says that um, nearly every conversation today uh, about the art that should be returned and artifacts are about a cultural property that belongs to Africa that already happened between 40 years ago and up to a century or more ago. Mm-hmm. So, so they, they, they really are very overdue in, uh, in giving some of these things back. And in, in France and in Belgium in the summer of uh, 2020, there was a, an incident that happened, a kind of, how can we phrase it, a non-official taking back of artworks from museums by activists, African activists, Wow. that the activists filmed on mobile phones themselves and the main head of this group was a Congolese uh, activist called Emery Diabanza and he went to museums and literally walked off or attempted to with artworks and artefacts, sometimes getting into disputes with security guards and this became part of an, a, 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 a scheme to draw attention to, uh, to what was going on there. And so really collections of African pieces 
that have accumulated in Berlin where this professor is uh, based, and in London, Paris, Brussels, and other parts of Europe during the colonial era, which stretches from the late 19th century throughout the 20th century, um, was something that people started talking since the 1960s in institutions about rectifying. There were administration debates on the return of these items versus the need, the argument for the need to keep them, to preserve them in perfect condition because they, this was the argument for keeping them there by the administration of certain museums or um, art and uh, artifact uh, bodies to keep them in perfect condition for research and for future museum visitors to see them in better kept conditions than they might be uh, when they were originally found because they've been restored, many of these. Mm. But basically, yeah, they put, but, uh, in some of the countries in Africa that they came from, there wouldn't be the funds to be able to keep them in such good conditions or to even um, put, bring them back to their former glory. So basically, Professor Savoy, though, says that those involved in these discussions often offloaded this is a quote, offloaded their responsibility um, of their findings to, um, to find fair solutions for future generations. They knew perfectly well, he goes on, to say that they were playing for time in bad faith and they kept referring to the items or, uh, as something they would return to, but they never did. And some of these guys who were involved in the discussions retired leaving solutions in limbo to be taken up at some point. So it was basically never a priority. And the Professor Savoy decided to, to write a book on this, which really delves deeply into it. Um, uh, it so from those initial discussions in the 1960s, um, the 1970s saw a bit more attention turned to it. Uh, but in 1979, in a German newspaper uh, called FAZ, um, it dubbed artists, sorry, it dubbed the the art restitution uh, program as a spectre that was haunting Europe. And so the professor said that was a very negative way of saying it because it, it was as if it was a bad thing to do. Mm. So generally speaking, um, in the UK, for example, there was famous controversy in the British Museum over the Elgin marbles, mm -hmm. which were some statues um, that, um, that were... You know, there were lots of statues that were ancient Greek and ones that date back f further. It's a, it's a big argument in the, um, or a very awkward scenario in the world of um, art and artifacts in museums and art galleries, really. Mm. And so if you fancy reading more about it, um, listeners, you can uh, have a look at this very new book called Africa's Struggle for Its Art. It's very specific, but naturally, you can, as we've said, and you know by its title, that, um, that it's going to be uh, all about the country. That's what he's researched. He's an academic, after all, so he's kind of gone for a real slice of uh, one particular part of the world where these things were plundered from, you might say, in, in the way he puts it. He puts it more academically, but basically the restitution, meaning returning back to um, where, where they came from, is still in limbo right now, even though it's been discussed um, in a way that people considered was seriously from the 1960s. Mm. So, so that's, that's, that's one I'll leave mm. uh, dangling there for people to find out more about if they want to. But it's a very, very interesting subject. Mm. Of course, it applies to art and artifacts from all, all kinds of places. Um, so, on to um, something a little more local in Taiwan next for a story on how some puppeteers now look to, and here they come, here come those three letters, can you feel them? NFT. Uh, there isn't a, a week where we don't say <laughs> no, it, really. <laughs> it, it's almost impossible, to be honest, with the world of art news. 
but um, it, it, puppeteers who have been in, um, in the business very successfully in Taiwan for decades, in order to keep their art alive, they find that they're turning to NFTs to make some of their works in puppetry into limited edition NFTs for a very mm. affordable price. I'll come on to the, the, mm -hmm. how little they charge for it compared to other dramatic sums of money that we've talked about yeah. in recent times. Um, so they're, they're, they're transferring um, some specially shot video and film um, to make NFTs into the digital art formats that we have spoken about before to become a collectible that people can enjoy in the ways that we've also discussed before. Often they have built in other elements and filming them means that there are bits of video, there are some still images. I sent um, you a picture, yes. Sadia, yes. Yeah, of, of one of the directors of a company called uh, Pili, P-I-L-I, International Multimedia, and they are very, very successful um, puppet makers. I mean, they make right. things traditionally. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in the old school way, with um, wooden puppets, with hand-made clothing and, 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 and hair uh, meticulously styled strand by strand, you know, all very intricate. Mm. Um, and they've made some of these into NFTs, which they launched um, in February last, uh, well, no, two months ago now. And they sold out immediately. They made an addition of 30,000 uh, uh, so th this is why they're quite reasonably priced, because some NFTs can be one-offs and others can be in an edition. It's the same with prints. If you buy something from an edition, like a woodblock print or an etching, then it's going to be um, a lot more reasonably priced than something that is a one-off. That's just the way it works. Yeah, quite an yeah. obvious one, really. Um, and so they felt that the world of puppetry that they were involved in is like I was saying, a bit of an old-school form, and they weren't making too much money from it, particularly in COVID, when performances are not going on so much because they would normally do these in theatre. They also do produce puppet shows that are hugely popular in Taiwan for kids um, on TV. They've been doing this for decades. But um, they, from, from the glove puppet, you know, really kind of younger children type, to the very intricate string puppets that I mm -hmm. mentioned before. So they have, um, they got four of their best known characters to make a set. Each set has got these four um, iconic in the world of Taiwanese puppetry um, uh, characters and, and 30,000 sets were all sold. So they're now wow. working on their next set. Yeah, they sold them for 40 US dollars, four zero. Okay, that's that's a right. very reasonable mm. 320 Hong Kong dollars, yeah. yeah. Um, and that translated when they sold out as a revenue of more than 1.2 million US. That's, a, wow. that's around 10 million Hong Kong dollars. So, wow. you know, it's not, you know, as we've said, some fine art um, ones will go for, for hundreds of thousands of Hong Kong dollars, but that's not what the, they're all about. They're about giving something of a popular form to people and finding a way to get through a difficult time where they can't do their in-person puppet shows, that's even though nice. they do stuff for TV. Yeah, yeah it's a nice it's a feel-good story. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah. So, another story, moving on, is that in, um, in Singapore, um, there was an interesting report. It was a bit of a retrospective um, on someone who has become a bit of a, uh, a, a well-known designer in Hong Kong for making inflatable art, whether mm -hmm. it's one-off um, inflated sculptures that are 
commissioned to be either public art by the government or private companies to go indoors or outdoors. They're, they're, um, they're all produced by an artist, and I've sent you a yes, picture, picture there, Sadia. Yeah. They're all yeah, on my um, Facebook now, Sadia Osmani on Radio 3 RTHK. You can see all the pictures. I had a good look at that before coming on air. It looks, looks like it looks nicely put together. Looks, it's, it's a colourful range of stuff, isn't it? Mm. Um, and um, Jackson Tan is the man's name, and mm-hmm. um, he was part of a very avant-garde art and design collective in the 1990s called Funk, spelled P-H-U-N-K. Mm-hmm. But um, more recently, he went into this medium of inflatable art for his own sculptures, and it, it took off really well because... The one that I've sent Sadia is uh, of something which is a project that came out in 2017 called Art Zoo mm. in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And the, the last time I was in Singapore, I think it was either that very year, but I didn't know about Art Zoo, so I didn't see it. And also, my, my, my looking at Art Zoo, it's, it's got a rainbow um, uh, uh, sort of that a, that a gorilla yeah, with that. a party hat is holding on to and you can see people walking through just the looks like a bounty castle yeah it's very very large though isn't it yeah, huge massive, scale. huge and uh and this art zoo project is almost the culmination of his solo project he still does stuff with the collective and and there's all sorts of art and design projects for even for mtv asia and they do all kinds of they're a very 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 well established mm. uh, avant-garde but also popular group of uh, designers doing doing all sorts of things but for his own work yeah having seen some pieces that were more fine art related he was approached by a private developer art zoo is um it's not a government uh, park to make something of a whimsical nature which combined some made-up animals that he agreed and it sounds like a really interesting project for mm. an artist he would draft them up as sketches and they, then they would talk through them together he was asked to feature a certain amount of endangered real animals from okay. from the real world yeah, yeah. yeah. Plus, plus some mythical ones plus some of his own invention that's and that's, that's really stretching the artistic boundaries it sounds like a really fun project great for the um, summer it is, it is, and, they, and, 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 uh, and as we were saying, they're quite large-scale, some of them. But the mm. one that we mentioned is, is really something to look at at the entrance. The other ones are a mixture of freestanding sculptures, but also they are, like you said, bouncy castle amusements for, mm-hmm. for mm. kids or up to sort of younger teenagers, I guess, to bounce around on. So um, it, was, it was just, I think it's interesting. We don't really cover... Singapore for art and design very much so I thought it was just a little window into something that's happening there mm-hmm. and I think I'm just just scrolling down yeah that's about that's about all he did come from an interesting um, background though where he was fascinated by art there was none of it in his family and he used to be always doodling over the covers of his exercise books <laughs> and so on and uh, it just seemed that he well, he never really was interested in other subjects Oh. And he just went on to do that. So it's really just a, a, a personal story. On We don't often hear how artists in Hong Kong get to do what they're doing. Mm. And it's nice to hear that someone really did follow on something that was a, that yeah. was a passion from kindergarten age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet the kids yeah. love it. My goodness, it'd be lovely. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, all, it's all bright coloured stuff. Mm. And, and his, his other freestanding works are around various parts of Hong Kong, indoors and outdoors mm-hmm. as well. So, um, finally then, I'm going to move on to something that happened on Sunday night American time, which was the 
Grammy Awards 2022. Yes. Just held, yeah, yeah, just held a week after the, uh, the, the Oscar uh, chaos that went on, the way there was all <laughs> the, the, the ceremony that we heard about going on there. And um, it was an interesting, um, sober event compared to the what happened with the whole controversy. Well, I think I prefer that, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something, I mean, it kind of follows the... It, it, but it didn't follow exactly the normal script because it had a very long concert. So there was a three-and-a-half-hour concert, oh, which is wow. amazing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly American artists, especially with COVID going on, but they do give international um, awards. It's not just judging American artists. Uh, that's not part of the criteria. It is international. Mm-hmm. So there were lots of there were also lots of video links going on, and in the uh, the, the headlines really were that the biggest winners were. Um, and these are I know that some of these. Uh, um, artists play on the RTHK Radio 3 playlist. Yes, yes. Um, but what, what, one of them was Olivia Rodrigo, who is um, quite a, a, a popular one with the teens to early 20s, really. And there's an R&B duo, Silk Sonic, who also dominated major categories, and, and John Baptiste won the album of the year. Uh, but it was one week, as I say, after the um, the Oscar things, the, the Oscar run-in with um, uh, Chris Rock and Will Smith. And uh, this, though, was very, very technically spot on. There weren't any technical errors, even though they were having things, uh, link-ups with people by video from other countries. And the host, Trevor Noah, best known for his satire on The Daily Show, which is on TV and online, um, in his opening monologue, says that we're going to be listening to some music, we're going to be dancing, we're going to be singing, and we're going to keep people's names out of our mouths. I don't know if you know, <laughs> don't know, if you know what that refers to, Sadia. That was, that, was, that was part of the heckling that happened by oh, Will Smith. So he, yeah. couldn't, he couldn't stop himself from kind of referencing it. Okay. Um, and, um, and Noah went on to say, don't think of this as an awards show. Um, it's more like a concert where we give out oh, awards. Nice. And actually... Yeah, and true to that, there were only nine in-person awards given out mm-hmm. uh, by, uh, by, by top artists, um, most of whom performed live in the concert. But, but there were far more other big-name artists that, uh, that did take part who were not, uh, who were not given awards. But it, some, some of those big names that were uh, appearing were at the concert were... Lady Gaga, the Foo Fighters, Billie Eilish, and the New York hip-hopper Nas. Um, and the prize winners included um, uh, um, Doja Cat, whose song Woman yes. is very much uh, currently on rotation. It's great at RTHK I love Radio it. 3. <laughs> so do I. It's so, it's so uh, catchy. Yes. It's really, yeah, it's a good one, isn't it? And um, she, but she won an award for a single called Kiss Me, Kiss Me More, uh-huh. which was a collaboration oh. with another female singer. Do you know that one? Yeah, I know yeah. the Spanish version, yeah. Oh, Not, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. What's it? Um, gosh, I can't think of it. Oh, that's one of my favourite tracks too. Oh, that's interesting. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, she, that's so, good. so she she did very well. Um, one thing I've got to say though is that while researching this story, I came across in Hong Kong Tatler an article that came out today, 
which had its best and worst fashion looks for the mm. Grammys. Okay. Now, <laughs> I'm no fashion-minded person, Sadi, as you well know, seeing the kind of togs <laughs> I swat around in. But, uh, but, I, but I can't say I thought their selections were that spot on or, or that fair. But then who am I to judge? I, 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 I sent you one that was on their worst A, a lovely list. yellow one where she's yeah. got a lovely pantsuit on with silver uh, uh, embroidery on her one leg and her bodice. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's I, all right. It looks okay. It looks, quite it nice. looks great. It's in their worst list, and it's, uh, <laughs> and it's a singer who is known as H E R. I can't really see the problem with that outfit. It oh, looks yeah. very seventies retro. Yeah, yeah, it looks quite cool. I thought it was, it's on my Facebook page. If you want to see it, no problem. Okay. You can have a look at it. Brilliant. That's great. <laughs> that, that's that's probably about the size of it today. I think. Thank you very much. Well, yeah. when you mentioned Olivia Rodrigo, I've also got her lined up, and I've got Doja Cat lined up as oh, well. well so we will go straight into that um andrew thank you very much and look right, forward to thanks. speaking to you again next week all right great thanks, i'm gonna go straight to doja cat now great.